This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser the Blaze Radio Network. Glad to be with you, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for subscribing. And if you're new, thank, welcome. Welcome to a one-of-a-kind program, a program that will breach that divide between the West and the Muslim consciousness, a program that dares to confront the divides, the chasms of uh, um, ideologies between political Islam and its Sharia states versus the West. And the reason that's relevant is here at Reform This, uh, we believe, I believe, that that is the root cause of all radicalization. That radicalization is not just about violence, it's not just about extremism, it's not just about terrorism, it is about a mindset, a state of mind. When that state of mind is about the Islamic State, it's an enemy of the West, it is a theocracy. When that state of mind is about liberty, freedom, universal human rights, and equality, it is our friend, it is our ally. So it's not about being Muslim. Well, yes, all Muslims are not Islamists, but all Islamists are Muslim. And we are here to target the ideas and defeat the ideas of political Islam and bring them to a positive place of freedom, of liberty, so that they look through the world through that lens of freedom and not through a theocratic lens of Islamism. You know, this week, the topic of the week was this bizarre reality thing that used to be known as a respectable presidential debate. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think... I would defy any of you to find one person whose mind was changed by watching that car accident that we all ended up watching. I think over 80 million people tuned in, and as much as I wanted to avoid it, since I find both candidates compromised significantly when it comes to foreign policy and national security and Islamic reform, yes, we can make arguments of one being better than the other, but I'm sorry, the debate sort of proved that you know, you have significant problems where uh, Hillary continues to be an apologist for Islamist movements, for the Sharia state, and a technocrat who has been uh, uh, vying for this position for 40 years 
And Mr. Trump, unfortunately, is unable to articulate what's at stake and continues to have sympathies for dictators and Putin and really has not shown an ability to use words like freedom and democracy. And while many may be able to give excuses for that, at the end of the day, that's what my work is about. Um, yes, the scourge of humanity is Islamism and the Sharia state, but you cannot defeat the Sharia state without defeating dictatorship, be it secular or theocratic. The secular dictators of the world are the root cause of political Islam, and they are the corporate Islamists, while many of us are used to fighting the viral, the ground Islamists that are chaotic and anarchical. But at the end of the day, I believe they drink from the same trough, be it the General Sisi's who may use good rhetoric about reform, but his state is still a Sharia state. And I'll give you a good example of that, of something that happened in Jordan just a few days ago. Before we get to that, though, again, this debate stage was the talk of the water coolers this week, was the talk of the media who saw a political event turn into one of the most watched events in American history. And in no small part due to the celebrity that's uh, running on behalf of uh, the conservative movement. And I say on behalf is it's challenging to say that he is a conservative. Uh, and that's to put it mildly. But where do we go from here? What was this debate? Was it really a debate? The debate we should have been hearing was not this snarky and tit-for-tat personality contest between two dysfunctional individuals. And, you know, I, I have to ask you, how did the world's biggest communications platform for political leaders bring the two worst communication individuals in communication on the planet? I, I, I just don't get it. And I know there are going to be books written about what happened in this election cycle uh, but it's just, it saddens me. But at the end of the day, the debate was a ton of missed opportunities. They talked about national security. They talked about ISIS. They mentioned countries in the Middle East as if they were listing random kitchen sink issues. But... There was hints at not mentioning strategy because they don't want to reveal their cards, as Mr. Trump said, and the other technocrat of Hillary, Hillary uh, rattled off some type of strategy that included some military involvement, but yet appeasement of her Islamist allies from Qatar to Saudi Arabia. So... Where does the American people go? And unfortunately, the debate that should have been occurring this week was best put in many foreign policy circles, which is an interests versus values debate. Interests versus values. What do I mean by that? Is our policy, is our strategy in the Middle East about promoting American interests? Or is our strategy 
about promoting American values. That's the debate I wanted our candidates to have. That's the debate that is raging on the pages of many foreign policy magazines, uh, op-ed columns and, and other outlets in which pundits, some soft, some hard, and and often well thought out, often tools of dictators that want to control the mindset, but at least they realize that the center of the universe right now after 70 years post-World War II, that for whatever you want to talk about the 20th century paradigm, as Condoleezza Rice spoke in 2005 in Cairo, that for too long we have approached our security through stability in the Middle East, and we have gotten neither. And that was six years before the revolutions. And certainly now, post-revolutions in 2011, we are having to truly have this debate about interests versus values. And sure enough, it seems that both candidates were saying the gosh darn same thing, which is our allies are not the people in prison, the people writing poetry about freedom, the people taking YouTube videos of being shot in the streets as they march for freedom in Syria, as they marched for freedom in Egypt, the people who began the Twitter revolution of Tunisia after a self-immolating business person decided he wasn't going to pay the autocratic king his taxes on and on, that these revolutions were about the working class. They were about those who wanted individual human rights and wanted to be free. No, our two presidential candidates from both parties didn't even use, I can't even remember the word freedom and democracy being used in this debate. No, we had them competing about some vague, unpalpable, undiscernible plan and really meant nothing to me as an American citizen, as an American whose family fled Syria for political asylum here, whose America to me has been all about being an idea. I heard none of those ideas. I heard none of those concepts that define Americanism. We've lost that. The heads of the two major American political parties have, whid have whittled down the foreign policy national security to debate, not about modern reform, not about freedom, not about universal human rights, but basically about American interests in the name of stability. And that the absence of terror has become a value. North Korea, I think, is probably one of the most peaceful places on the planet in which there's no terror. And yet every citizen of North Korea is terrorized by its government. As the worst, most offensive government on the planet. And now Syria has gone far ahead because it is openly 
assassinating its citizens and has displaced millions and is now heading towards 600,000 dead. And still, the freest, the leader of the free world, which will be one of two candidates, will continue in the abysmal, disgusting tradition of President Obama where there has been no defense of freedom abroad, there has been no articulation of the values, and we have played fifth fiddle where our Secretary of State, John Kerry, has been functioning as Lavrov's intern. And for Secretary Clinton to somehow have us believe that her position to Russia will be any less subservient than Mr. Trump's is absurd. It'll be the same. And we have eight years of Obama's subservience to Russia to prove what role America will play in which a Russia rushes into Ukraine, in which NATO did nothing, in which Russia has now been inhumanely bombing innocents in Aleppo and elsewhere in Syria while the Assad regime annihilates a population through genocide. And Mr. Trump, for those who believe, will fight the war on terror. I do believe he will do that better than Hillary. There's no doubt to that. But there's no track record either. And I'm very concerned about his verbal subservience to Putin and his assessment that somehow that demonstrates strength when, in fact, as Garry Kasparov said, a pretty knowledgeable Soviet dissident, Russian dissident now, who said that, well, arsenic is a strong drink and the Russian people have been drinking arsenic as long as Putin has been in charge. And I get it. The President of the United States is checked by a Supreme Court, is checked by a Congress and Senate and House and and others, free media and others, that will keep him accountable, that he's not as powerful as other autocrats. But, you know, listen, I, I have to, as an American citizen who loves my country and wants to see our Constitution embodied, I want our leader to not only talk about protecting the free people, but talk about positively becoming the ambassador for the principles of Americanism, which are liberty and freedom, and all of the principles embodied in our U.S. Constitution. So this interest versus values debate is just profound. And no, none of it was in the debate this week between Hillary and and Donald But I want to have it here. So when we come back, let's have that debate. Let's talk about interests versus values and what you didn't hear and what 82 million people missed out in the conversation this week about American policy and the role of the advancement of freedom versus the protection of American interests. This is Zudi Jasser for Reform This, and I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to second segment this week of Reform This Faithful American Patriots, who I appreciate you joining me as we converse about those issues that I don't think you'll hear anyone else, is how does a patriotic American Muslim who believes in our Constitution, who wants to defeat Sharia supremacism, approach the issues that plague American policy, that plague Muslim reform, that plague a functional approach to such a dysfunctional world? We left off talking about the fact that I wish that the debates this week were about the interests versus values debate, and they're not. And I think the best example was an anecdote that uh, I want to share with you. And if anything, I see it as a meme of my entire work. There was a Jordan writer and a cartoonist by the name of Nahid, Nahid Hattar. And he was killed this week, assassinated in the streets of Jordan. And I will tell you, as much as, yes, a radical Islamist and ISIS sympathizer in Jordan likely was responsible, the ultimate responsible human being for his death was the king of Jordan. Now, how could that be? They're with us in the war against ISIS. How could the king of Jordan be responsible for the death of an atheist who had been a Christian who decided to draw a cartoon. The police arrested Riyad Abdullah, Jordanian media said he was a local imam who had been upset by the cartoon that Nihid Hattar drew. He had been a long Beard, he had he had a long beard and was wearing a long robe and was common among conservative Muslims and had been well known among that community of Islamists and theologians. Nahid Hattar was detained in August for 15 days on charges of insulting God after he published a cartoon depicting a bearded man lying in bed with two women and smoking, asking God to bring him a drink. Mr. Hattar was born a Christian, but he considered himself an atheist. He was attacked after that cartoon for being 
anti-Islam on social media. Why? Because it was obvious that he was talking about a imam who was a hypocrite. And he said he didn't mean to offend anyone, but wanted to expose radical Islamist view of heaven. And authorities said he had broken the law by sharing the cartoon. Hattar supporters said that they hold the re- government responsible. And, you know, I have to quote here from the BBC report, Saeed Hattar, the writer's cousin, he said, the prime minister was the first one who incited against Nahid when he ordered his arrest and put him on trial for sharing the cartoon. And that ignited the public against him and led to his killing. The government condemned the killing. The government said it will strike with an iron hand all those who exploit the crime to broadcast speeches of hatred to our community. This is an anecdote that explains and should highlight the dilemma of moderate Islam everywhere. So you have a government that begins the processes, has within its legal system that it controls autocratically. Our Jordanian allies and their judiciary has blasphemy laws. It arrests an atheist freedom warrior who wants to just push buttons to educate the community, which is what freedom is all about. But they arrest him that he insulted God and insulted Islam. Now they all tell you behind the scenes as I had heard in meetings, as I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom for four years, they'll tell you, oh, we have to do that or there'll be riots in the streets from the Wahhabis and the Islamists and the Palestinians and all the other radicals in Jordan. We will we will have just militant uprisings if we don't at least push some mild form of blasphemy laws. Nonsense. Every dictatorship uses incitement the fear and the infantilization of society and citizens as an excuse in which to militarize its government against its own people. And that's what the prime minister and the king did in their Sharia state, in their supremacism and their inability to articulate freedom and liberty in their system for individuals. And when they start enforcing laws of blasphemy, they then tell vigilantes that it's okay to be vigilantes and jordan is known for example for its apologetics and misdemeanors with which it arrests those who commit vicious barbaric acts of violence against young women who commit acts that are felt to be dishonorable to the family or to the community whether they wear a short skirt, whether they date or drink alcohol, whatever's felt to be quote-unquote un-Islamic is then hashed out publicly and they are stabbed, they are killed, they are beaten. And then sometimes the government will arrest the brother or the uncle or the father who committed it and then release them. Or somehow they have a 16-year-old brother commit the act because he cannot be arrested as an adult and is arrested for a few months and then released. And this is called moderation in a moderate nation like Jordan versus a more theologically draconian nation like Iran or Saudi Arabia. But it's all the same. It's the same trough of the Sharia supremacism and Islamic State. This case of Hattar should educate every one of you 
that when you say, where are the moderate voices of Islam? It wasn't only that imam. We are fighting not only the viral militants on the ground who will enact vigilante justice through an anarchical system of, of just uh, um, street justice, of, of violence, of terrorism against citizens, but the governments that say they're the firefighters but are the arsonists. They're the ones who light the fire by arresting and pointing out that this individual's tweet, this individual's cartoon was the problem. The Turkish government under Erdogan has arrested tons of individuals for tweets against Islam, against God, which they equate with against Erdogan. The Saudi government has arrested many, supposedly like Rafe Bedoui, who's, who, who wanted to talk about his organization, Free Saudi Liberals, and he was flogged in front of a mosque because of criticizing Islam and God. Blasphemy laws. So his arrest then led to abuses against his family, against so many others. So this is a double-sided coin where both sides of the coin worked against each other and together in order to maintain a quasi or a real theocratic state. So these allies of ours like Jordan claim to be working with us for security and stability in the region. But at the end of the day, they are distributing the intoxicant of political Islam and the Sharia state. So you will never have modernization. You will never be able to reform the ideas of separation of mosque and state that need to happen in order to reform against the ideas of political Islam, unless we hold the leadership that have the weapons, that have the military, accountable for our universal principles of human rights, our understanding of what equality means. And I'm sorry, this is not just Western principles. The the Nahid Hattars of the world, the Rafe Bedouis of the world, those prisoners of conscience, now the assassinated, the dead ones like Hattar, if their lives were going to mean anything. They drew those cartoons and questions authority because they wanted to be free. They're Jordanians. So Jordan, what does it mean to be Jordanian? What does it mean to be American? We should only work with real allies who share our values. So the debate should have been about values. It should have been about those who share our values. And I think the debate of interests versus values is better is better circumscribed as short term versus long term. Because if you want to continue a whack-a-mole program where you put out fires here and there, as we have for over two generations now going on to our third, then you are in the American interests side of this equation. And I will even argue that you you are ultimately not an American interest because the long-term value will continue to circle down the drain into a theocratic, draconian prison state, which will then want to globalize into a caliphate, which is the OIC, and ultimately will only be happy when America is destroyed. So the national interest debate is even people like El-Sisi, do not appear to be real reformers because what their judges, what their military is doing to its own people. These are not moral individuals. They may not be as brazenly corrupt as the Assads of the world or Saddam Hussein's or Qaddafi's, 
but I have no evidence other than an LCC visit to a Coptic church or an LCC speech and rhetoric to the Al-Azhar University. I have no evidence on the ground in Egypt that he's defending freedom of our journalists, freedom for reforming Muslims who reject the clerical authorities. So they're just two-bit autocrats and thugs who have found a way to be more educated and continue to get the American taxpayer to pay for their, their military, which is what's happening with the NDP. Now, yes, the national interest debate would be that we should continue to remain with helping el-Sisi because if he goes away, if there's no leadership in Egypt, would it deteriorate with over two-thirds of its food coming from abroad and end up with a famine and revolution and chaos? Yes, that might happen. But I would ask you, has any democracies in the West been created through peaceful, just nice, cajoling modernization? No, it's come through multiple revolutions. It's come through a lot of war and instability. It's not for us to decide. Is this their stability is our stability? Maybe. But who are we to have one set of values for our own country that was fought through a, a profound civil war in which hundreds of thousands died? And before that, a revolution against theocracy. Who are we to say that only we can evolve through that evolution? But if the Egyptians or Syrians or Libyans or Iraqis attempt to evolve that way, we will work with their dictators because we want to be stable and because they will attack us. Yes, they are attacking us because we are their greatest threat. Greatest threat to the advancement of the ideas of theocracy as Americanism, whether we stay here and withdraw, as eight years of Obama's isolationism has proven, or whether we move abroad. It won't be moving abroad militarily, but our ideas will penetrate their, their societies because it's through Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, American technologies that transformed the Middle East. This is Zudi Jasser. I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful American patriot, I come to you every week trying to dissect and untangle the issues that prohibit or can advance us in the war on terror and the war against political Islam. It's not a war on terror, it's a, that's a tactic. This is a war against an ideology. We are promoting, those of us who believe in America, are promoting liberty. 
and those who are seeing us weaken are the Islamists who want us to weaken because they want to advance theocracy. That's what the debate should have been this week. It should have been a debate for the American people to see the balance that we need to strike between interests and values, between stability and ideology. And I would tell you that, yes, it's this balance between short-term and long-term. And ultimately, I believe that just like in treating cancer, you can choose to just palliate and treat symptoms, and the patient might live a little bit of a happier life than going through chemo. But if you want to attempt at a cure, you give the chemo, you get sicker, you get through the hard, you trudge through the, the most difficult choices. And that's what the Middle East needs. That's what our security needs, which is a long-term pathway towards democracy. And do not have a bigotry of low expectations. Every people want to be free. You think the Chinese people want to live, a billion plus of them want to live under the communist dictatorship of their regime? And let's say they were to begin to have revolutionary changes as we saw in Tiananmen Square. Would we not encourage that? Or would we say, well, they're a nuclear power. Let's help the rioters, as Mr. Trump referred to the Tiananmen Square demonstration. They were not rioters. These were freedom-seeking demonstrators. And the prisons of China are lined with our real allies. And now we have an economic powerhouse that, yes, we've been open to. But I fear, without the advancement of our values, we are helping entrench their oppressors. But in the Middle East, there's a bigger choice at hand, which is nation-states that are going through massive upheavals, cataclysmic change, seismic seismic changes in their political systems and their national identity in which they finally figured out that social media is a way to communicate and it can help push back against the autocratic leadership in order to bring in world sympathy to help limit what the dictators do. It worked for Iraq. I'm sorry, it worked for Egypt. It worked for Tunisia especially. Iraq, we had gone in and liberated long before there ever was an Arab awakening, so it was a much more difficult project because the Iraqi people were not revolting on their own. And now you have somebody like Mr. Trump who says we should go ahead and loot. We weren't about liberating. We should have been looting them of their oil. I, I, I can't believe this is the position. And now the contest and the debate was about who didn't, vote for the Iraq war. So does that mean the head of the Republican Party now believes that Saddam was a good thing? And that is what he said, actually, a few weeks ago. So now the conservative position is that a thuggish, maniacal, barbaric dictator who used to go up to third grade children and ask them what their mommy and daddy felt about Saddam. And if they said they, they used to say jokes about him on the dinner table. By the evening, their parents would be dead. That's what Saddam Hussein did. Read the book, Republic of Fear, Mr. Trump. That's the way 
to them function through strength is through inhuman torture. That's what used to happen in those prisons. But again, there are many excuses that can be made. And it's unfortunate that neither candidate is able to advocate for freedom or liberty, but the advocacy is about American interests. And yes, Mr. Trump does make it clear he's going to decimate ISIS and more power to him if he does get elected. I'll be waiting for him to invoke the advice of generals, I guess the ones he respects, the generals that will finish ISIS. That's absolutely necessary. And I hope happens tomorrow. But at the end of the day, it goes beyond that because we can, as we get rid of, as we got rid of Al-Qaeda and we saw the signs of mission accomplished, we then realized that it wasn't accomplished. We now have ISIS. And then we had Al-Shabaab. And then we had Hamas. And then we had Jamaat Islamiyah and every other whack-a-mole terror group that'll come up just like the whack-a-mole radical Islamists that are here from Minneapolis to Seattle to Fort Hood, Chattanooga, Chelsea, New York, on and on. And that's just in the United States. It will continue until the House of Islam goes through a defeat of theocracy. Theocracy or Islamism is the root cause. So the advancement debate, you can only get American security through advancing our values. Democracies never fight wars. Autocracies fight them against each other and especially against democracies because they are the biggest threat once you empower the people to believe in a common value that unites them. Once Jordanians start believing that Jordanism is an idea about liberty, the king's time is on, can be counted in one hand. Once the Iraqis start thinking back again about what it means to be Iraqi and Iraqiism, they will then start to believe in a united Iraq rather than a fractured one and one united under similar principles. Syria may end up being divided after its civil war. But what I and many secular liberal Muslims that are Syrians and Christians and Yazidis and others have been calling for, and Druze and Alawites, is a united federal Syria that believes in a Syrianism that is about the universal declaration of human rights and not about theocracy, and not about Khomeinism, or any foreign intervention or foreign ideas, but about freedom and liberty. This is, I think, not only values that Syrian citizens, Egyptians, and others can embrace, but we can hold true to our own values and not be hypocrites globally, where we advance other values for other societies than our own. And yes, the world might become more unstable, had we supported the Green Revolution in Iran, God knows how unstable Iran would be today. But in the long run, we would not have been handing hundreds of billions to a government that is assassinating its own people, killing gays and liberals, and handing billions to Assad to assassinate and torture and murder his own people. Now, we would at least feel good that we were helping a revolution that wanted to defeat theocracy in Iran. But we did not do that. No, our president appeased our enemies, our sworn enemies who call for death to America and death to Israel, who are blatant 
disgusting anti-Semites who believe in conspiracy theories, and yet we use the short-term interest model that ends up sitting next to and shaking hands with the world's worst actors in the name of stability. And it's not stable because those people don't want to live under that autocracy and they will continue to agitate in any way possible until they defeat it. So we have to make a look at our own values and say, by working with these dictators, we are actually sealing the jails. We are actually helping the whips that whip those freedom thinkers outside those mosques that are flogged for their beliefs. When they don't let Christians evangelize in Saudi Arabia, we are helping them do that by doing the interest debate rather than the values debate. So I'm sorry, I'm sick and tired of abandoning American values. Yes, the world might become more chaotic, but we will treat the cancer. And nobody's saying this is a binary choice. It is a dual choice in which we will, like a seesaw, I think, stay on one side of that, which is the values debate, but understand that it'll be balanced by some of our interest in the short term, defeating ISIS, defeating the evil incarnations of these regimes like ISIS and Al-Qaeda that come from the Saudis and, and others. But at the end of the day, we will also work to end their regimes. We will also look for regime change as not being a bad word, but a blessing. Two of the, the, the most blessed terms for our families in Syria and elsewhere, which is regime change. It's not us doing the changing. It's empowering the people to liberate themselves. That's the part of the word regime change that I find so difficult to understand as to why when we say it, it's as if we control these regimes. If we do, we shouldn't. And we should only help provide the sustenance and the, uh, the ability for these people to have a voice against the oppressors of Russia and China and others that are trying to reach for influence through autocratic means, kleptocratic means for their own pockets rather than for values. So I would say in the long term, by treating the cancer of radical Islam, political Islam, by treating the cancer of secular military dictatorship, we will ultimately work towards our interests in that once you have democracies, look at Tunisia. Yes, it's a fragile democracy, but they had an election in which they dismissed the Islamists of Anahda after two years of their existence, and Tunisia is not completely but headed towards a solid secular parliamentary democracy. That was the opening of that society. Now, granted, their monarch, their president was not as ruthless and evil as the Syrian one, but he was certainly no compassionate democrat. This was an autocrat, but he decided for egotistical reasons just to leave and get exile. And now the Tunisians, luckily we have not sided with dictatorship there, but with free thinkers for the most part. But they were also more educated, more stable society. That paradigm can exist, could have existed in Syria, can exist with a revolution, I hope and pray, in Saudi Arabia someday. But the petro-Islamists, the, the oil that 
stifles thinking and creativity and free markets is their primary oncogene, that gene that prevents, that continues to generate cancers of political Islam and the Sharia state and prevents reform. Well, I side on the value side of this debate. There were a few candidates that believe that. They're long gone right now in this cycle. And I know I'm also on the side of the interest debate. Certainly I don't want us to believe in any type of fratricide or surrender against our enemies, but I also believe that in the long run, leaning towards values and consistency and avoiding hypocrisy is the only way towards freedom globally and towards our security. But yes, security is first. Security at our borders, security internally against militants who have weapons. Not hate speech, but who have weapons. If they have hate speech, expose them, surveil them, but don't take away their rights. We need to monitor them. You can't monitor them if you push them underground. And that's a principle not only for America, but across the world. But the dictators don't want that. They don't want to have any significant freedom. When we come back, I want to end by discussing an unbelievable thing that was sort of a kick in the rear for the president as he finishes his last few months of presidency as his veto of JASTA was overrode by a Congress that finally decided to give Obama a taste of his own medicine. This is Zudi Jasser for the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Patents Stew. Then we can solve all these problems at once. No more pressure cooker bombings. Uh, no more obesity. No more global warming. We get all these things out of the way. and we You do just it. killed three birds with one stone. Are you running for office? Wow. You know what? If you're not, you should I be. I would like to announce. <laughs> if right you're now, not, you should be. Uh, that I would like to be president of the United States because I can solve these problems for you. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. Always great to be with you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener, I hope you're getting a taste of something you just don't get anywhere else. I don't like the term moderate Muslim. It implies somehow that Ah, we're sort of squishy. In many ways, uh, as uh, Glenn has told me a few times on his program, uh, I might be the radical. Maybe I am. Martin Luther King was a radical. Reformers have been radicals in the world. Radical for a good reason, because they challenged the people they love to stand up for their rights. They challenged the people to push against the establishment and believe in values that were human. This week, the Senate started and passed almost unanimously a veto override of the Justice Against Saudi Terrorism Act, the JASTA, if you will, and 
Then it went to the House in the same day this week, and they passed it uh, 300 and, uh, what was that number again? 348 to 77, and the Senate vote was 97 to 1. Yeah, those 77 members in the House that voted against it, one abstained. I'm sure it included the the Saudi lover, uh, Congressman Keith Ellison, and other Saudi apologists. I have to tell you, I, I was just so amazed, surprised this week that the Wall Street Journal came out with a piece that said, quote, an Obama veto that we can support, an Obama veto worth supporting. They opened by saying, legislation rushed through Congress with unanimous support often spells trouble, and so it is with the justice against sponsors of terrorism acts. Sorry, I said Saudis before which works for me, sponsors of Terrorism Act that President Obama was expected to veto last week. The bill which passed both houses of Congress would create a new exception to sovereign immunity, the doctrine that protects foreign countries and their diplomats from lawsuits in the U.S. courts. The bill was designed to let families of victims sue Saudi Arabia. They claim then, then they go on, that the plaintiff's bar was salivating at making tons of money and uh, that ultimately this would harm the impact and have impact on American assets and the Saudis might pull their assets. All I can tell you is, fine. You, you want to say that the current economic stability of the world might change? Maybe. All from JASTA? I don't know. I mean, the families will pay. We saw in the Lockerbie case uh, that uh, ultimately they paid tried to get some justice. And I think there's nothing more that will wake up a government than the families of those who, who were killed by the 15 of the 19 Saudi hijackers that plotted to destroy and attack us on our homeland. So it is justice. And listen, it is already open season on Americans. I myself was threatened in a British court a British organization called the World Zakat Fund that uh, just because we highlighted uh, over 10 years ago, we highlighted some of their Sharia experts as being radicals that were anti-Semitic. They asked me to cease and desist and sent me a threat from one of the libel capitals of the world, London. But luckily I have no assets there, so it wasn't significant. But to say that somehow this JASTA will unleash, uh, and you know, I think Rachel Ehrenfeld has written great work about libel tourism. We have seen the UN this week call for America to pay reparations for slavery from the 19th century. So the UN, instead of dealing with Assad, instead of dealing with Iran, instead of dealing with ISIS, was today dealing with or I'm sorry, this week, dealing with making America pay reparations for slavery. And now we're worried that JASTA is going to create a backlash? Maybe it will. But that's how freedom wins, is through the hard choices. And I'm sorry, President Obama's response was insulting, absolutely insulting. He said to CNN this week, after the veto override, 
It's an example of why sometimes you have to do what's hard. And frankly, I wish Congress here had done what's hard. He felt that their vote was a political vote. And he said further, President Obama, that, quote, the concern that I've had has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia per se or my sympathy for 9-11 families. It has to do with me not wanting a situation in which we're suddenly exposed to liabilities for all the work that we're doing all around the world. It was the first override of his presidency. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. What a great way for him to end his legacy is finally to have the Senate stand up and the House stand up to him, pass something. And he tells us about hard choices while he played golf as Benghazi happened, while he played golf more times than any president in history. I can't even find time to play one round of golf that lasts four hours in the last 10 years, let alone the 300 rounds that he's played while he's taking an income running the largest organization on the planet which is the American government. No, he's lecturing us about hard choices. While he did nothing, while chemical weapons are being used, genocides happening in Syria, and the leader of the free world sits on his hands, NATO sits on its hands, ISIS continues to spread because of an ineffectual counter-ISIS operation in a land in which both sides are our enemy. Russia seems to be running roughshod on us, and President Obama is telling us about the Congress not making hard choices, but political ones. And then he applauds a second-string quarterback who makes millions and decides to use his platform to insult the national anthem. Why? In order to bring attention to the African-American community, which certainly there is a number of issues that need to be addressed regarding police force and others, but many of the police officers involved are African American. This is not about race. And many of these cases are exaggerated until we get the details. Yes, there are horrific cases like the one in Tulsa, but at the end of the day, the majority of these cases appear, once the realities get out, not to be about racism. And yet, we see cops assassinated on the streets in Dallas and elsewhere, and the president still lectures us about how Kaepernick is making hard decisions. I'm sorry. This is dividing our country. If he wants a platform, have Kaepernick start an organization, donate to a charity that's about Black Lives Matter, that's fine. But at the time of the national anthem, which people are coming to cheer on his team, He's lecturing and getting a platform to the point that the NFL may not even televise the national anthem so that that would then disincentivize them to do anything because they're exploiting that platform in order to divide the fans. Because the football teams are about the teams. It's about your geography, your states, your cities, not about dividing by race. And this first African-American president has seemed to preside over the largest divisions, racial divisions that we've ever had. And the same thing with the Muslim community. Our reform work has been almost impossible because a president that racializes Islam, a president that racializes being Muslim, 
So congratulations to the Senate and the House for standing up to him. There may be some negative effects. I disagree fully with the Wall Street Journal for the first time in a long time, a paper that I love and subscribe to. But I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong about JASTA. I think the Saudis will finally be on notice, at least on this issue. They already have basically given up on the lawsuit. They already admitted to having funded terrorism. Uh, Khalil Zad's op-ed in Politico a few weeks ago basically said that in conversations the Saudis have admitted to funding and radicalizing Muslims around the planet. Now, I'll believe it when they defang their judiciary and start really pushing reform-minded jurists and taking away the blasphemy and apostasy laws and starting to liberalize their society. We'll see. But I'm not holding my breath about whether women will drive, about whether women will be able to go to work, about whether Christians can bring Bibles in and can build churches in Saudi Arabia. But at least for one day, I thought, did hell freeze over? The Saudis are being given a lecture despite their lobby, despite the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation Lobby, despite the Obama lobby in Washington. Congress stood fast. No, it was not a political choice. Now, we may later hear, I'm sure Hillary probably gave a wink and a nod to it, that this is the right time to do it because she won't have to own it and Obama's on his way out. I don't know. The last thing I want to leave you with is this legislation. It's called the Caesar Syrian Civilian Protection Act. Can you believe that there are sanctions still against the Assad regime that we have not done yet? Can you believe that the sanctions bill is being led by Democrats and I think has a ton of signatures and will likely pass? But what is the obstruction? The Obama White House last weekend was working behind the scenes calling members of Congress to tell them not to do this. And who's in bed with the Russians? Obama now is not only not doing anything against chemical weapons, but he is trying to stop a sanctions bill against the Assad regime's interests? I I can't believe it. It's evil. It is outright criminal. We are defending war criminals now. Our president is. Hats off to Elliot Engel, Democrat from New York, who was one of the authors of this legislation. I didn't think there were any sanctions left. I remember when the war started and they were truly pegging innocent, unarmed civilians day after day, 100 to 200 killed a day, thousands a week in peaceful demonstrations in which sanctions began and many of us tried to identify family members of the Assad regime that should have been included in those sanctions and operatives that were helping as part of the major global intelligence operation of the Syrian regime. By the way, there are more expatriate Syrians around the planet than there are in Syria because of the huge drain and departure of Syrians over the last 60, 70 years. Something like 28 million expatriates and 22 million inside Syria. 
But at the end of the day, this legislation is still pending. Call, ask about it, take a look at it online. The Caesar Syrian Civilian Protection Act. Find out why is the media not covering it? How can Kerry, on the one hand, verbally chastise Russia for war crimes in Aleppo, which it's doing on a daily basis, especially this week? I have family and others telling us about the carpet bombing that's happening to hospitals and downtowns and the millions in Aleppo. But no, even legislation for sanctions seems to be hard to pass with this agent of dictatorships by the name of President Obama's White House. I I don't know if any of the two candidates will be any different. But right now, this is what we got. Reform cannot happen in a vacuum. It can't happen in dictatorship. It can't happen without support. It can't happen without missions. We need to have a mission to look at the Middle East and the world through the lens of liberty and democracy. And that's our interest. Our interests are our values. That's my message this week. Our interests and our values are the same. This is Zudi Jasser. Thanks for listening and tuning in to a one-of-a-kind podcast on Reform This. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.